Today's episode of the Crawford Talks is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome in. It is the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. He is Jake Kaplan, the Astros beat writer for The Athletic, and I'm Mike Meltzer. Jake, we we would be, I guess, in the middle of the second week of the season in typical circumstances. Obviously, these are very far from typical circumstances. How are you? How are you holding up, sir? I'm okay. Uh, everything is relative right now and trying to maintain that perspective constantly. Um, yeah, you know, we're doing our best here to provide you guys some content um, during all this. Uh, hope hope uh, it's providing some sort of escape or some sort of sports fix for you. Uh, it's been, it's honestly, it's been impressive to see all the content. All the great stories at the athletic, um, a lot of creativity going on. Um, so that's that's been encouraging. But but yeah, I'm uh, I'm hanging in. Are you hanging in? I'm hanging in. I have to admit, this week's been kind of a slower week for me. But you know, making it through. And and I, I'm of the mentality that like each day that goes by will bring us one day closer to at least being able to live more of how we lived before all of this, maybe not 100%, you know, until we get a vaccine, right? But it'll bring us just closer to that point. That just, that's my mentality right now. Yeah, I think the one day at a time thing, uh, to borrow like a sports cliche, <laughs> is is really the best way to go about it right now. And It is. Um, and, and yeah, I mean... At least MLB did give us a little bit to talk about this week. Yes, they did. So let me plug a couple things that we have uh, on this podcast because a couple of the episodes we've done the last uh, week or so have been more of the kind of evergreen variety. So... If you guys want more content, and why would you not want more content? Make sure you check out our episode from earlier this week about the idea of a shortened season. Would it help or hurt the Astros? We reacted to Evan Gaddis' comments um, about the 2017 sign-stealing scandal. Last week, Bill Brown on his favorite calls, and last week also Kevin Eschenfelder on remembering the late Jimmy Wynn. All right, the masses, Jake, are awaiting the answer to a very big question. This is a massive question. Is Jake Kaplan ready to spend four and a half months in a biosphere in Arizona? Um, no, but it's not anything to do with <laughs> me. It's it's more to do with um, I just don't understand. So, like, I've I've been thinking about this. I don't want to say a, a lot because I think my brain's been preoccupied by a lot of other things uh, right now, but. I've thought about this a decent amount, this Arizona plan, and um, I don't really think it's feasible. And I also think that my opinion of it is extremely skewed by the fact that they dropped May as the date. 
I mean, obviously, the report says as yeah. early as May. But when you see as early as May, that's all you can think about for the rest of the report because May just seems way too uh, reckless and premature and um, irresponsible to consider right now, given um, all that's going on and this, you know, public health crisis uh, facing our country, our our planet. Uh, so I don't really understand the whole May. If you had thrown in July. Um, Maybe say the the ESPN report on on what was that Monday night says as early as July. I probably Monday night. Yep. I probably think about the whole thing differently, but you know the May part of it, I just can't get past that. It's too too distracting for the rest of the report and the rest of the idea. Yeah, I I think that's totally fair. That it, it, that when we're thinking about the details about baseball's possible plan here that it's hard to escape the idea of just may well it's early it's you know the, the first slash second week of april it doesn't really feel like may is a is a, is a possibility jeff passon was the guy who broke this story on monday night, as uh, jake mentioned basically major league baseball and the union are focused on a plan that could allow them to start the season as early as may and essentially and we'll go through the details here in the next you know 15 to 30 minutes or so. But basically, the idea is having all 30 teams play games at stadiums with no fans in the Phoenix area. Double headers, you know, with, that are only seven innings, that sort of thing. Jake, I want to, before we like dive into the weeds and the details of all this, I have a thought here, and, and you may not like this thought, but it's just something that's been really, I'm not kidding when I say I, I've been thinking this for the last, I don't know, 72, 68 hours, something like along those lines. Uh, and it's, it's like a broad thought that I have. What I am fascinated by, not just in sports, uh, but in life in general, for like we, I think anybody who's following the news understands like what we're doing now is we're trying to flatten the curve. Everybody knows that phrase. They know what we're trying to do. We understand it. We also know that we're going to be waiting on a vaccine, which just logistically is going to take time because you need to test the vaccine. You need to run trials. You need to find out if there are side effects, even if the thing you know helps against COVID-19. Like You need to figure these things out. You need to ramp up production, like all these different things that make it hard for a vaccine to come out in like a month. We, I think we all kind of get that. Jake, what I'm fascinated by is what's going to happen in like a month or two where we have sort of like a post-quarantine, pre-vaccine kind of world. Because I'm a person who I try not to be like overly optimistic or I and I try not to be pessimistic. So when I see guys like Keith Olbermann who are like, hey, the next thing you're going to see in sports is baseball's opening day 2021. My initial reaction is, well, what the hell is going to happen by April of 2021? If people are telling me a vaccine is 12 to 18 months away, I mean, that could be into the summer of 2021. And without sounding callous, but also trying to sound realistic, I have a really hard time, Jake, imagining that we as Americans, and not just Americans, but worldwide, are going to completely put life on pause for the next year or a year and a half, which makes me feel slightly more optimistic about this Arizona plan. Maybe not as currently constituted, but like, I just, I don't know that after this quarantine period, but before the vaccine, that we're just going to have nothing going on whatsoever. Like, I'm talking like, are we going to have weddings in America in 2020? Because I find it hard to believe that we will have no weddings or we're not going to have any events that require people in 2020. So I know I'm ranting and I gave you a bunch of things there, but what are your thoughts on that kind of like from a broad perspective? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a while before life is back to quote unquote normal. Um, yeah, I, I think like I'm not discarding this Arizona plan by any means as like um, in totality, like something like it could maybe work. I think a lot of things would have to go right for that to happen. Um, but I, I, like I said, I think the May thing is is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, we should note that MLB did respond and, and kind of downplayed um, the the idea. I mean, we should also look back to last late last week, early this week. Ken Rosenthal had a few stories, kind of outlining scenarios of playing in in empty ballparks and what that would look like and, and what it would mean. Um, you know, so it's, there's, I think like as a society and as like a, uh, a media culture, we, we, we tend to take any little sliver of an idea and jump to, uh, we jump from the idea phase to the it's happening phase really fast. And we analyze it like it's happening. Right. This is just an idea. It's not, and I'm sure it's one of many ideas MLB is considering. Um, they would be. It's good that they're considering ideas. They, that's what they should be doing right now. Um, but just because it's an idea doesn't mean it's going to happen. Doesn't mean if it does happen, it happens exactly as we think it's going to happen, uh, or as early as we think it's going to happen. But you know, we tend to, you know, we want instant gratification. We want instant um, results and. So any, you know, as soon as this comes out, people start dissecting it and that's fine. But I think we have to be careful with, with, you know, considering it to be more than an idea at this point, it's, it's still in the idea phase. No doubt. Jake, I'm wondering if, from baseball's timeline, because that's what I'm wondering, like Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA said, I think within the last week that he knows less now than he did when they shut down the season about actually like four weeks ago, uh, almost to the day. And that actually makes sense. I, I think that's logical because we're all trying to find out. And I think uh, one thing we're all trying to figure out is what the data is going to look like by the end of April, by the end of May. Do you think baseball has like a certain window by which it will need to start making a decision? Uh, and I ask that because I genuinely wonder what the desperation factor will be by, let's say, August and September to put something on television, even if it's some kind of like smaller tournament that they play hypothetically in August and September that's along these lines. Do you like do you have a, a drop dead date or like a theory in your mind? No, I think it's pretty. It's it's a pretty late date if there is a date. I think, like you said, they're gonna they're gonna like try every possible way to play something, even if it's, you know, like 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 you propose some kind of tournament uh, or whatever. I mean, I just you all, in these cases you always follow the money, right? And these oh yeah these these teams these players they they're gonna want to play number one because they enjoy playing baseball, but also because there's a lot of money at stake here. Um, so I think, yeah, I think as they're going to hold out as long as they can to do something, look at the NBA, for example, it's season would be, would be, it would be in the playoffs right now, right? Mm -hmm. We're close to it and almost starting. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no end in sight for right now for this hiatus and they're still going to try to play something. So, you know, MLB's, you know, what, six months behind NBA and there's, so like, I think. They're gonna they're gonna exhaust every possibility before they you know scrap it. Um, 
any I think and like I said, I think it's good that they're they're looking at plans and and thinking about brainstorming ideas um you know and and I think we should keep you know talking about it and reporting on it, but it's we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions that just because it's being talked about means it's going to happen. I, I agree with that. And the Passing Report came out Monday. As you mentioned, Ken Rosenthal has been writing about this. Uh, Andy McCullough, who I think is uh, fantastic, uh, he wrote a story about this in The Athletic. I'm a little biased because I went to school with uh, Andy at Syracuse. He has no idea who I am, so I feel weird even saying that. But he, he's, he's really good. Um, and one part, about, so one part about this, Jake, the dystopian nature of this plan, like the idea of having just the players, the coaching staff, the umpires, and I guess whoever else is deemed essential, the media, whoever, in Arizona. Like, however long this idea lasts, let's just let's just take it from June or July. Just take it from that point. Three months, four months, however. Are players really going to agree not to see their families for four and a half months? I wonder about that, and I don't know if you saw this, but on this exact topic, when Jeff Passan was on with Scott Van Pelt on ESPN on Monday night on SportsCenter, uh, they had an interesting exchange where Van Pelt mentioned the exact point I'm making, and Passan was like, listen, man, I talked to a player, granted, sample size of one, which means nothing, but the player was like, listen, I talked to my wife, and we basically agreed if that meant me making the money, then I'll go away for four months. Why couldn't the families go with them and... You know, presumably you're driving to Arizona. Yeah. Um, from say you're quarantined in Michigan, you're driving to Arizona. You're not. I don't. I don't. I don't like you're. St- you're together now, and so why couldn't you just stay together and then you just be you'd basically just be moving your quarantine. I I wonder the exact same thing. Um, because I I have a theory about this, and you may not like this, or people may not like this, but I actually very, I I firmly believe this. Like, in the post-quarantine pre-vaccine world, whatever that's going to look like, whatever events we have, whether businesses are opening up, whether, like, smaller events, whatever it might be, like, we need to, they need to, the league needs to plan for the possibility that one player or two players test positive for COVID-19 and they don't have to shut down the season. I'm not saying this to say I'm like, I'm wanting to spread the disease because that would be asinine. But what I'm saying is like, in my mind, in the mind of Mike Meltzer, there's no point in starting anything if only one slip up can completely destroy a house of cards, right? Like, I think they, I think to me, if I was Rob Manfred, if I was Adam Silver, whoever it is, whatever plan I'm having, I need to have the potential of if one guy tests positive, what exactly happens so that I don't have to shut everything down? Because if the if the margin for error is going to be that small for this sport, Major League Baseball, or any other sports, like I just don't see why it would be worthwhile if that's the margin for error. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, look, I'm reading Ken Rosenthal's report from, it was either Friday night or Saturday morning, uh, where he really first brought up the possibility of MLB playing in empty spring training parks. And he quoted one baseball official as saying, your margin of error is so small. Um, Just for the whole thing. I mean, you're not only talking about players, but you're talking about coaches and, and broadcasters and hotel workers and bus drivers and media members. And, you know, I don't even know if, you know, what, how the media thing would work. Maybe it's not media members. Maybe it's close to media. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't understand how we're going to do interviews 
uh, in this in person right now. I mean, unless there's like a press conference setting, but that's a whole other thing. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing is there that that really I think small is probably an understatement. The margin of error is like razor thin. So I I don't know how it would work. Um, I don't know how you know how games would be broadcast with all these people who work on a broadcast having yep. to be together, um, media members who are constantly by each other uh, as they conduct interviews um, and watch games. Like, I, I don't know how logistics would work. Umpires, you know, I just, you know, the idea of like players sitting six feet apart in the stands is just like, I don't That's know. That's I mean, so weird. Yeah. I, I there's just It feels like there's just so many things that have to go right for this to work that um, – Right now, as we speak on April 9th, it seems it seems too far fetched for me. Um, could that change in a month, two months? Sure. I mean, this this whole story and the numbers are changing daily. So, but as of right now, we can only go off the information we have, and that's why I, I just it's hard for me to take it too seriously when they're throwing out dates of as early as May. One basic question I have, Jake. Does Arizona have the capacity to have 30 Major League Baseball teams in that state playing games? Like, what? what I mean, I know they can use Chase Field and the spring training parks and all that, but, like, are they going to have to, like, go down to, like, using, you know, some field that's Major League regulation size? Yeah, I mean, they have – how many spring training parks are there? Um, they have a – I mean, they have more than half of baseball there for spring training. Um, that's a good start. There's colleges – you know, um, yeah, I mean, there, if there's baseball this year, it's not going to look like your regular Major League Baseball. So I think you kind of have to start from that starting point and realize that, um, you know, if there is a game this year, uh, it's going to look a lot different and you're going to have to be creative to make it all work. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So some of the other details about uh, the Arizona plan. Well, we should also mention the rosters. Uh, I think that's a big component. Because, you know, Arizona isn't just some random place. It's a place that gets super hot during the summer. So you're talking, I have, uh, I have not been to Arizona in the summer. I've been to Phoenix a couple times, but not during the summer. So it's like 110, 115 degrees. Jake, suffice it to say that you could not have just 26-man rosters. Like, you might need to have, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out some numbers, 30, 35, like 40 guys, just because of the wear and tear of playing those games in that heat, right? I don't know. I mean, I've been to Arizona in the summer. It's not fun. But at the same time, we live in Texas in the summer. And there's how many minor league teams playing in Texas in the summer outdoors? That's um, true. Is it is it hotter? This might be a stupid question. Is it hotter in Arizona than, than it is in Texas during the summer, though? Um, if that's a stupid question, I'm stupid <laughs> for not knowing the answer. Uh, I don't I don't I know. I think it actually might be hotter because I've lived in Houston for almost 10 years. And, like, it, it'll be obviously, like, you know, 100 degrees consistently. But I don't think it usually gets all the way up to, like, 110 or 115. Like, I think that's pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. But still, the point being that it's not like we don't play baseball in heat um, as a sport. Like, they do play plenty of games. Now, it's not the major leaguers, but... Um, a lot of these major leaguers did play in the Texas league at some point or Pacific coast league where there's some hotter climates. Um, so yeah, I don't, I think that would obviously be an issue, but like, I don't think that's going to stop it from happening. If, if everything else checks out. 
I want to go through some of these uh, some of these possibilities that Jeff Passan wrote about on ESPN uh, about the Arizona plan. I want to, I want to get instant reaction from both of us about this. One, implementing the electronic strike zone to allow the plate umpire to maintain sufficient distance from catcher to batter. Totally on board. Ever since I was like a teenager, love the idea of the electronic strike zone. I, I'm good with it. Yeah, sounds fine to me. I mean, it sounds like. Um something that would be necessary in this case. You, how are you going to have an umpire standing right next to the catcher and the hitter? <laughs> uh, how are you going to have a catcher standing next to a hitter? I don't, I don't you know, again, I it guess all that's depends something that, on where yeah. we are as a, as a country by the time they would start. But like, I just, again, there's just so many, I, you're not going to be able to keep people apart in playing a sport. You're just, not. of course, I agree with that. No mound visits from the catcher or the pitching coach. So that, that goes along the lines of what you just said. Like, I mean, I, I guess I can see that, but, like, what are we going to do? I mean, is it going to be harder to steal signs in that sort of environment, and, and thus there'll be no mound visits? Like, can we can we uh, somehow uh, basically create the timeline where they can get that the microphone between the catcher and, and the pitcher in this situation? Tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's barely been more than a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they are still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. Like the one about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now. Or how the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams was beyond repair or how minor league baseball players are getting financial support from their big league counterparts. It's during times like these that The Athletic can help keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us all to sports, those don't go, go away. So go to theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Yeah, maybe. Um, or maybe they just have to, I mean, you'd see a lot more cross-ups for sure. Yeah. but And that would lead to more time because you have passed balls. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't, unless they're wearing masks on the field, how would you do a mound visit? And maybe they do have to wear masks on the field. I don't know. Again, yeah, maybe they is, do. I feel I, like <laughs> I feel like talking about this is so like premature right now um, with where we are. Like I, I understand. Like I said, like it's good that MLB's discussing ideas, but like you know, it's well the, the, the logistics. The logistics know. will need to be worked out. Uh, so. If they want to play closer to a full 162, which to, to, that to me like might be the most asinine thing. Like, <laughs> like uh, we're at a point where like I don't think beggars can be choosers. But the seven inning double headers, uh, I, I have no philosophical issue with this. I guess it can screw up with like you know the, the numbers and the statistics. But I think we're past that point. Seven inning double headers. You could tell me there are five inning double headers. You put anything on my TV, and I'm gonna I'm gonna accept it. So I have no problem with that. Where do you stand? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this whole season, if it happens, it's going to have a huge, I don't know about asterisk, but like some kind of notation that it was different next to it. And I think we just have to, you know, understand that and not 
and not think that it's going to be anything close to normal. Um, so yeah, anything they can do that, that can, you know, get the most out of a season makes sense to me. I, I don't, the seven inning doubleheaders doesn't, I, I have no, like you, like you, no philosophical, uh, opposition to that. Regular use of on-field microphones by players as an added bonus for TV viewers. Uh, again, that's something that makes uh, complete sense. That's something that they experimented with in spring training, and a lot of people seem to like it. Uh, I know that there have been, this has been an ongoing theme the last decade or so that a lot of people are upset by the way. Major League Baseball does not properly market its players. I'm no marketing expert. It, it makes sense to me. Um, I, I've often I've often kind of been struck watching the All-Star game, how when you when you have some of those guys mic'd up, I'm like, these guys are really interesting personalities and I candidly have no idea. And I'm a and I'm a you know a huge sports fan and I follow and cover this kind of stuff. So yeah, I think the regular on field microphones I think will would certainly help this kind of situation because at first when we're all watching this, it's gonna look bizarre and sound bizarre with no fans in the stands. Yeah, I like the idea. Um it's it's fun to see the interplay between players. That's really what, even if you do know some of their personalities, you don't see them interacting with each other that much yep. uh, on camera. So I like I like the microphone stuff for that reason. Um, you know, I think, and if we're already like treating the season as some kind of different entity to itself that is, you know, not not a whole not the whole thing's not an all star game, but like it's different, right? Uh, why not go that way and and experiment with the microphones? I'm still skeptical in a normal season that it would work. I think part of the reason the the mic'd up players work so well is because it's so rare and special. I think you could if you do it every day, it it might you know not play as much. It play could, as that's well. true. But um, in a season that's again, if it happens, going to be different in every sense of the word, um, why not? Players sitting in the empty stands six feet apart instead of in a dugout, and I guess high fives being discouraged. This is something that, okay, uh, I guess, I mean, well, how many guys do you have in a typical major league dugout at one time? Obviously, it depends on whether you're you know hitting or on defense, but like usually there are a bunch of guys. Like I imagine they would have to spread out even six feet apart, like pretty decently. That's going to look bizarre, and I, I don't know, Jake. I, I feel like that kind of thing, especially the high fives, like that's going to be that's going to be kind of tough to enforce. No. Yeah, I don't know um, how you would enforce that at all. And also, like, yeah. when the spirit of competition kicks in, um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a bizarre one. I mean, I, I think ultimately, my, my thought is, I, I'm glad that baseball is considering possibilities. My my mentality, Jake, is I'm I'm gonna be optimistic just because you know I think we have to be during this quarantine period. I think there'll be a post quarantine period where I think we're all as a country, not just in sports or in baseball, we're gonna have to figure out what life is going to look like, and it's not going to be just back to what it was. It's not going to boomerang that way up until we get a vaccine, most likely. And I think now, right now, the month of April and probably the month of May is planning time, brainstorming time. What is this going to look like? And then as we go into May, mid-May, late May, June, then I think they'll start to kind of shift over to possibly decision time for what the, the actual plan, if there is one, is going to be. That, that's kind of my mentality on, on all of this. Yeah. 
it's uh yeah i think that's a good way to put it um you know again it just seems we're still in the middle of this thing like it's not it's not over it's not close to over um and to like talk about sports right now as like close to starting is just not reasonable um so yeah this should be the planning phase it should be the idea phase they should have be talking about dozens of different contingency plans and ideas in any effort to save some sort of a season. Um, but again, like back to my original point, like we love to jump from, oh, it's an idea to, oh, it's happening. Let's critique it. Let's shut it down. Let's, you know, let's assume it's happening. Like it, I know we love answers and we want them fast, but you know, it's just an idea. It's likely one of many ideas. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we should just consider it to be an idea, not a plan that is going to necessarily happen. It is the Arizona plan. And this is going to be maybe who the coined, major story. Who coined the Arizona plan, by the way? It, it was not me. Uh, I, I guess it's it's just kind of like the short way that people have been referring to this since Monday night. You're like the, you're the second person who's told me that who the hell turned this the Arizona plan, which is making me feel like maybe I made it up in my mind that everyone is using it. <laughs> no, I've seen it everywhere. I, I think we should call it the Arizona idea. How about the that? Arizona idea. Yeah. Because there's plan probably sounds, other ideas. Plan sounds like it's happening, true. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, plan sounds more authoritative. People like authoritative, Jake. Even if it's not realistic, they like authoritative. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a, a couple of other things. Uh, so you, you're doing a series on The Athletic uh, with the Astros where you're revisiting drafts of the past. I want your, your latest one, which is up today, being Thursday when we're recording this, and it is about... A player, assuming there is a season, but we'll see this guy at some point in the next year, obviously, Kyle Tucker. And your thesis is that Kyle Tucker and how he pans out is going to dictate how the 2015 class is viewed. Here's my perspective. Them uh, taking Kyle Tucker and passing on Andrew Benintendi, who's been a good player for the Red Sox and I think may have killed the Astros' chances in the ALCS back in 2018 with that magnificent catch mm -hmm. uh, in what was a game four. Uh, I remember I was in center field. God, that was an unbelievable play. Nobody, nobody really talks about that decision, but it's like quietly one of the bigger decisions that the previous regime made uh, in, with the Astros in the last five, six years. Yeah. It is a fascinating decision, and they considered Benintendi. I mean, he went two picks after Tucker, um, but ultimately went with Tucker. Um, you know, I think it's it's a whole nother. It's like you go down a whole like wormhole with it. Like, if they draft Benintendi in 2015, do they ever sign Josh Reddick before mm -hmm. 2017? And then do they have more, um, you know, payroll flexibility going forward? Do they have this or that? And I think how differently does do things turn out? Um, you know, I think Benintendi, given he, I think he had a down year in 2019, if I remember. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think, I think it's definitely still like a jury's out thing with Tucker versus Benintendi, who's going to have the better career. But, um, you know, Benintendi would help, would have helped them maximize the, the window that's soon to be closing while Tucker might help them extend the window. Um, they're kind of, one being a college player, one being a high school player. They're in different kind of um, timeframes, but um, yeah, I mean, I, obviously the 2015 draft for the Astros is going to, the ceiling is extremely high. Um, Alex Bregman 
getting a, a franchise cornerstone face of the franchise player. Like it's a great draft no matter what, but uh, if Tucker pans out, it's an all-time Astros draft. If he doesn't, it stays at a great draft. So I, I thought it was an interesting one to dissect. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole series I thought was was interesting. Um, I would hope that people have been enjoying it and checking it out. Um, you know, the 2012 draft's pretty cut and dry with Correa and McCullers, but uh, 2013 and 2014 were, were particularly interesting. 2013 is just like a debacle. Like, you know, like the... Tony Kemp and Tyler Wood are like the only guys from that draft. And then I mean, 2014, 2014 is kind of like better than you think, but not for reasons that will please Astros fans because Ramon Laureano is really the reason it's better than you think. <laughs> and, he, and he's on the A's. <laughs> yeah, the, the 2013 draft is so weird to look back on, Jake, just because, you know, I, we in Houston, we had heard about Mark Appel by that point for the last year. Like The, the weird thing about going back to 2012 with Correa and McCullers is, I remember, you know, I was, you know, work, I was doing daily radio the whole time. And even now, granted, to be fair, we were not discussing the Astros on a daily basis back in those days. But but that number one pick, you know, was was a consistent story we had kind of talked about. And my, my theory at the time was like, you know what? I would have taken Byron Buxton. And my logic was like, listen, you give me a high school outfield. There was a big time guy, big time athleticism. That's all I need to know. Correa, we had not really heard about up until they actually picked him. And you obviously saw why in the uh, in the ensuing years. But the point is, circling back, I tell all that to say, you know, Mark Appel was a real consideration at 1-1 in 2012. So yeah. when they got the number one pick and Appel was back in the draft in 2013, it was kind of like, oh yeah, they're just going to take Mark Appel. And you think, and this is why making predictions, no matter in sports, politics, life is so brutal. It's so difficult for anybody, expert, generalist, whatever. Like the idea that Mark Appel came in, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say like super polished, a lot of production at the collegiate level and just a complete and utter debacle of a pick. And it would have been, I think, almost impossible to predict that seven years ago. Yeah, I think um, he definitely regressed like stuff-wise once he got into the minors. But at the same time, I think he's also like really interesting in that um, his stuff um, in college grades out better to the the scouting eye than it would have on like this the – track man um data hmm. that that teams use now and when i wrote last i want to say it was last may about like the astros cutting edge ways and in, in pitcher development um i was struck by how much that was kind of a turning point in that they didn't have they they, they didn't have this track man data like as part of their draft uh you know process or maybe it was a minor part of it but it wasn't as big as it became. And if they had had, if they were drafting the way they drafted in 2016 and 2017, in 2013, they might have made a different pick. Um, Interesting. I, yeah, like his, he didn't have as many plus pitches as they thought. Um, but at the same time, he also regressed and didn't, and just didn't pan out. And the whole industry missed on him. Uh, it, yeah. But it doesn't make it, just because everyone missed on him doesn't mean the Astros. Uh, doesn't make the pick any any less bad. Uh, an alternate reality: if the Astros pick Appel in 2012, first pick, that means they wouldn't have been able to get McCullers in the second round. Yep. But say they drafted Chris Bryant in 2013, so you have Bryant instead of 
Correa and McCullers, um, which which way works out better long term? Yeah, that's one of these fascinating alternative histories, and it also shows you that trying to do. I get the sense, Jake. Uh, I don't know if you have the same sense. Like, I think baseball drafting has become more precise in the first round, especially the top five or top ten. But, but even still, one of you know, sign stealing scandal aside, clearly, you know, one of the most advanced, best organizations in baseball from a development scouting standpoint, the last ten years. <laughs> like, we we just listed in the last five or ten minutes some really questionable and in some cases appell, you know, nearly disastrous or basically disastrous decisions. It just goes to show you just how difficult it is to scout these baseball players and figure out if they're going to be good at the major league level. Yeah, drafting is really hard. Um, That being said, I did come away from this exercise thinking the Astros are like slightly overrated as drafters. Um, Interesting. I think they're really good at like... uh, getting value out of like the later rounds like Miles straw in the 12th round or uh tyler white in the 33rd round or josh james in the 34th round or ramon loriano in the 16th round um and obviously like bregman and correa were great picks uh and mccullers but like i don't know like they got one out of three one one picks right um that's not good. <laughs> and although, uh, although the tricky thing is that so you say that, and, and you're not wrong. You, you are right. They got Correa right. They got Appel, and they got Aiken wrong. But it, it's obviously tampered a lot by the fact that they didn't sign Aiken, and they got Bregman because of it. So it's like they got one out of three right, but they re- but but the point is that they got Bregman as a result. So the Correa Bregman obviously is what kind of what saves them. Yeah. Yeah, it does, and um, I don't know. It's also, like, I, I don't think I'm going to go to 2016 just because, like, 2015 was hard enough to judge with the, the jury still being out on Tucker yep. that it's way harder to judge with Whitley. Um, and but, but, yeah, I mean, like, these last couple drafts will probably determine what we think of the Jeff Luna regime as drafters ultimately long term, but yep. I don't know. I, I think they've been, like, solid and pretty good but um i don't think like they've been as good as maybe you would think um based off of like the reputation um i think they're one place they're underrated is the international and like if you look at their top 30 prospect list now like half of it's international guys so um yeah so i think that's you know it kind of balances it out but um i don't know going through old drafts is really interesting i hope people enjoyed it uh i haven't decided yet if i'm going to go back into the ed wade bobby heck years um you know we'll see maybe i do something else and come back to it but um if you enjoyed it let me know because i'm i'm always open to, to reader feedback Make sure you check it out, The Athletic, which, by the way, is running a really cool deal. If you are not already a subscriber to The Athletic, click on any of those stories and you'll have access to a 90-day free trial. I've mentioned it you know, numerous times. Uh, the content, obviously, I, I am biased, but the content on The Athletic is absolutely outstanding. Uh, even now, with the, the pause in sports, the shutdown that's happening right now. And Jake, I think what The Athletic is doing right now is they're doing a thing where they are you know, supporting local businesses and local restaurants and that sort of thing, right? There's a whole series going on about that. Yeah. You know, it's a nice thing that the athletics doing to, to kind of chip in right now. Um, in addition to, to providing the sports content, um, 
we're, we're trying to uh, highlight some local businesses. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Mike, you know, you've been holed up in your apartment in Houston for what, almost a month now. Um, yep. I'm not sure if you're a big cook. You, you don't strike me as a cook, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> um, no, you're right. I'm certainly not a cook. Um, where, wh- how have you been, you know, uh, like where are you ordering from and, and what local restaurants have you been supporting during this time? In All right. So a couple of ones. So one thing I do just over the course of the week in general is I, I'm not going to lie. I've ordered like a meal delivery service for the last like four to five weeks just so I have like meals to tide me over. I, I might change because I'm getting like slightly sick of it. Uh, but I, and so at some point I'm going to do like the whole like, uh, you know, grocery store where they, you know, bring it out to my car delivery kind of thing. But I haven't gotten to that stage yet. So I'm going to give you a couple places that I really like in the Houston area. Uh, New York Deli, which is down on Hillcroft. Uh, it's very good. Uh, our producer, Mike Zimmerman, may, may not believe me, but this is like, this is a place that has like legit, like New York style bagels. Like they, they have the right water and the right stuff. My order is usually, it's really basic. I'm a basic sort of guy. Uh, two eggs, sunny side up, uh, home fries, and the bagel as well. Uh, Little Jimmy's Deli, which is on Richmond, my guy George, I've supported him for like eight or nine years. And I especially feel for a guy like that because a lot of these delis, it's like, you know, you're relying on office traffic and all that and now the offices are shut down Mm -hmm. uh he does a great job uh richmond uh, in the greenway plaza area and i like to reward myself on the weekends for getting through these weeks so like friday or saturday nights i order from a place called love buzz it is on westheimer and they have this uh like it's called like the Cushmaster or something like that Uh, it it has nothing it has nothing to do with marijuana i swear but it's like let's it's like Uh. basil olive oil and what I do, you don't know this about me, but I'm, I'm a big fan of spicy food. So I will add uh, habanero peppers on top of the pizza. So those are uh, a couple of my places. New York Deli, Little Jimmy's Deli, and Love Buzz Pizza on Westheimer. I have not had any of those three. So thank you for the list. Uh, that yes. will probably, I will probably hit all of them next week. Um, I've been really, I'm the type of person who once I find something I like, I just order it ad nauseum and then get yeah. sick of it and don't order it for a while. But right now I've been really wearing out uh, Barnaby's Cafe on Shepherd, um, doing delivery uh, through DoorDash and their stuff. Really everything there is great. Um, they have a few locations in Houston, but I, I go to the one on Shepherd. Um, that's really where I've been getting most of my stuff. You sp- you mentioned bagels, hot bagel also on Shepherd. Uh, yeah, good is, place. Good place. really good because um, it is hard to find good bagels here. Uh, in Houston uh, for people, for those of us from the Northeast. Um, so those are, those are two places I, I wanted to highlight. Uh, but yeah, check out all that, all the stuff on the athletic about local businesses, um, more of that to come as well. Uh, and please do check out the draft series. I had fun putting it together, but um, yeah, I, I uh, hope everyone out there, is staying safe and staying inside and we will uh talk to you with more two more episodes next week yes we will indeed again make sure you check out the athletic for jake's series uh on the past draft and do yourself a huge favor if you have not already subscribed to the athletic to the athletic do so click on any of those stories for access to a 90-day free trial he is jake kaplan i'm mike Meltzer. this is the crawford talks and astros podcast brought to you by the athletic <laughs>